Hello, welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley and we're here to talk all things leadership. Well, my guest this week is Hirsch Wilson and Hirsch is the author of a new book, Firefighter Zen, which uh, arrived this weekend. So I've speed read it, but I'm looking forward to talking to the the, the route a little bit deeper. Welcome, Hirsch. Uh, thank you, David, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, you're talking to us from New Mexico, and uh, it, it, I just said it looks like you're talking from New Mexico, beautiful part of the country. Yes. Uh, I always ask my guests to give me a, a quick 30-second intro of your bio. What got sure. you to where you are today? Well, it's a long, as, as for most people, it's a long and winding journey. So um, I... Uh, Went to high school in Minnesota, uh, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. I ended up at Colorado College. Uh, I quit Colorado College my junior year to become a dancer. And um, I danced for about 12 years with and my wife also until our knee, my knee gave out. And so I quit that and went back to the University of Minnesota and got my bachelor's in English and then worked as a writer for a while. And then we moved out to Santa Fe, New Mexico in our early 30s uh, to find work. And my wife uh, got a job at a conference center outside of, Minnesota, outside of Santa Fe. And I think her, like her third month there, a, a woman fell and broke her ankle. And there was no one there who knew anything about first aid or had any idea of how to treat her. Um, and Lori, who is um, a very determined Norwegian woman, said, this is never going to happen again on my watch. So she went to um, an emergency medical technician class, got her EMT license, and the, um, the instructor said, why don't you join the fire department uh, so you can keep your skills up? And the problem is that Lori heard, why don't we join the fire department? <laughs> so she came home and told me she's very excited. And uh, you know, I, I could not see myself as a firefighter breaking down doors and every man in my family, including me had a thing about blood and gore. So um, I thought that was a really stupid idea, but she dragged me to our first meeting and that's how um, we got to where that was in 1986 and we've been firefighters ever since. A dancer to firefighter is not the normal path, but it's uh, it sounds like an it's interesting a path. Yeah. yeah, it's a path. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I, I used to teach whitewater kayaking and uh, I often thought if you look at my career, it's been a winding river and occasionally I've stuck my paddle in and stopped going quite as fast. And occasionally right. I've gone a bit faster than the current and occasionally right. you go down a different path, but uh, you're never quite sure where the river's going to take you. It sounds like that's been a, no. a little bit your yep. path. So. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think I gave up long-term planning a long time <laughs> ago because you just never know. You just never know what uh, what's going to happen. You want to be open and, and, and kind of willing to go where the river's going. So your, your book just came out and it's Firefighter Zen and it's based on basically those 30 years of being a volunteer mm -hmm. firefighter mm -hmm. uh, and your writer comes out in you because there's some great little stories and you weave some pieces in and out of that. What What's the sense? What what made you want to write this and who you are targeting at? Well, uh, Lori, it was Lori's idea. Um, I've been writing ever since I was in high school. I mean, writing is uh, kind of how I explain the world to myself. You're the dutiful writing. husband, aren't you? You just do as you're yeah, told. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not an idiot, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
And Laurie said uh, after, after 30 years that, you know, firefighting had really changed how we perceived the world and how we went about our lives. And I should really write about that change. Uh, and that, so that was the genesis of the book. And the idea was I wanted to help um, people see the world through firefighter eyes uh, or first responder eyes, if you will. Because I think we have a unique view of how life works, how the universe works, and what are kind of the key things we need to do in order to truly find joy and fulfillment. Well, and as a recovering cop, as I said, I appreciate your broadening that because there's a lot yeah. of the stories resonating in a lot of the thinking and the, the emotion that goes through at, at different times and different events. So, yep. so you, yep. you're triggered to, to write this because it's changed who you are at your Absolutely. core? Absolutely. I think uh, other than being a parent, a father, I think being a firefighter has been the most significant um, endeavor I've ever had in terms of understanding uh, what life is about. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, I don't know if this was your intent and you had it all planned, but the timing couldn't have been better that you land this during COVID. Um, <laughs> Boy, that was, not, that was not my plan. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a very helpful for a helpful book for right now. Because so, the, the subtitle is, um, you know, the strategies, you know, for dealing with tough times, how we get right. through tough times. And that's what we're doing now. That's what I mean. It's, it's not like it's a guide for firefighters. It's uh, stories about the life of a firefighter that are resonant in challenges that come through through life. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, and so, so was that your, your audience? So this is just, hey, anybody that's going through a tough time? Yeah, I think it was. It was, it was my audience was, uh, you know, for me, I write books. The reason I write is it helps, it helps me explain the world to myself. So, so, um, and the second audience was my daughter, who uh, was was uh, just finishing medical school and and becoming a doctor. And so I wanted to kind of lay out for her also what I thought um, the world was going to be like for her. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's it's a it's it's really for a general audience. It's for everybody right now going through tough times. And I think one of the premises of the book is that no matter who you are no matter where you are, one of the promises the universe makes is that you will experience tough times and tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, that just comes with uh, who we are as human beings. And uh, I think we don't do a really good job philosophically or spiritually of preparing people for that. Usually it's, it's like that old quote, um, uh, the problem with life is it, it gives you an experience first, then the lesson. Right. Yeah. And, and what I wanted to do is help people kind of see the lesson first with the, with the promise that they will go through the experience of tragedy and trauma. Um, and that's just uh, the way life is. Well, it's just part and parcel of it, isn't it? Because uh, I've always thought you can't experience the highs unless you have some lows to go with it. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And the nature of life is there will be lows. There always will be lows. Um, and a lot of it's perspective. And I think as a first responder, uh, uh, you know that we have um, a pretty different perspective on what lows are uh, in terms of what we see. And so uh, I talk about it in the book that, that uh, a lot of the stuff that happens to us that we perceive as negative are really nothing more than inconveniences, mm -hmm. not tragedies. And once, once you have that perspective and you can say to myself, well, 
being stuck in traffic, being late for a meeting isn't a tragedy. It's not the end of the world. It's simply an inconvenience. And once you learn that mantra and kind of say that to yourself, uh, it makes a, a big difference in your perspective and kind of your emotional maturity. And you yeah. know, you know, as a first responder, that 90% of the stuff that we see every day are not emergencies. They're not tragedies, right? There's somebody else. Somebody else has a reason for calling 911. But in our eyes, it's it's an inconvenience. It's something we can handle. It's a problem that needs to be solved, but it's not the end of the world. Right. And I've been out for 30 years, but uh, my wife was also, she was a military policewoman. And um, really, yeah. we drive past things all the time. And, and our first thing is somebody's having a bad day. Someone's having um, a bad day. And right. That's, right. That, you know, and that's that realization of somebody's having a worse day than us. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see mm-hmm. that kind of situation. That, that, um, exactly. Exactly. Kind of built in. So. Yep. So for a family that doesn't do blood and gore, you've got a daughter in the medicine, medicine now as well. It's... Right, right. Well, the, the other part of that the story that my, my first day, uh, at our first meeting, they were passing around a picture of, of an accident, a car crash they'd had the week before with unfortunately a fatality. And they were passing the picture around and everybody was looking at it, looking at the mechanism of injury. They gave it to Lori and she was very intrigued by what had happened to the guy. And then they passed the picture to me and I almost passed out. <laughs> so I've never, I had never seen a broken neck before. And so I just like, right. I can't do this. So Lori, you know, kind of leaned over to me and whispered, maybe you can just drive the trucks. <laughs> but um, uh, I got over that. And I think, I think one of the lessons I learned was that, um, that when, when you have an obstacle in front of the path you want to take, it's about little steps. It's about, mm-hmm. it's about not walking, not turning around and going the other way. But it's about breaking the challenge down into little steps. And so I, you know, I did a first aid class and a CPR class, then a first responder class. And finally, I, I, I got my IMT license too, because most of all we, we do are medical calls and medical emergencies. So mm-hmm. I got over that. It took a while. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's a, another one of those life lessons, though, isn't it? That, uh, you know, I'm working with a lot of people at the moment who are dealing with their organizations being stretched, the people for working from home. There's all sorts of turmoil going on. There's organizations that don't know whether they're going to survive the end of this. And, uh, and you're trying yeah. to help leaders face it. And um, one of the things we try and get people to do is get calibrated. So let's mm. control what you can control, mm-hmm. influence where you can influence, mitigate the impact where you can, and accept only the things that won't go in the other three, which in some ways goes back to you know, my first responder training, which is when you get there, make sure that you're not panicking because that's making the situation worse. Exactly, exactly. And I, I thought about uh, one of the things about leaders, and I do a lot of leadership work in my consulting business. Um, but one of the things I take from, the, from being a first responder is that you have to be able to see the big picture. Uh, and in order to see the big picture, you need to kind of be still, look around, not immediately jump into the first emergency, but be able to have you know, a five-year horizon looking five years ahead, and then still still play today, still be engaged today. But you need to have that big picture. Uh, and on a, on a fire scene, it's the same thing. Or at a car crash, if we don't stop, see the big picture, we're going to you know run to the first car we see on the highway and miss the tracks that go off into the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about taking the time to stand inside the hula hoop. And that comes from an incident command training at fire uh, chief training where they put you in a, at a training they put a hula hoop down on the ground and you have to stand inside that hula hoop 
uh, and no matter who's yelling at you, no matter who's dying in front of you, you have to stay inside that hula hoop and get a sense of the big picture right. before you act. And I think that extrapolates well to, to leaders, especially in times like, like this. Yeah, because quite often the most noisy person isn't the one you have to worry about. Exactly. Usually they're the one that they're fine. Yeah, they're all right. It's when it's they the stop making noise. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's the quiet <laughs> ones that are scary. Yeah, I, I know in my uh, police training, the first aid instructor always used to say the first step is check for danger. Uh, yes. And it was, and that's embedded in my head now. It's still yep. after 30 or 35 years that yep. you come across that and check for danger. And, yep. and it's that yep. stop and, and think about things. Which, which, you bet. which leads me to one of the pieces because, uh, you know, one of the reasons that your book resonates is there's a, an awful lot of overlap with our work. And uh, you have this, uh, this mantra of stop, challenge, and choose. Yes. Right. And, um, and we have one that is stop, think, and choose. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Which, yeah. and I'm reading it and saying, this is exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, and for our recent book, we actually added notice to the beginning of that. And I'd mm -hmm. be interested because the notice piece is the notice, the physiological response mm -hmm. that then generates the stop. Yep. Yep. So, so how yep. do you, how do you get to stop challenge and choose? This is a, this is a, um, a training we did at Pecos River um, that I, you know, gladly stole. Um, and I use my consulting work. And the idea is, uh, if you think about our brains, you know, they're, they're constantly narrating uh, what's going on, right? It's a constant barrage of noise. Um, and what, when we feel something negative, sometimes we just react. Um, it's like Pavlovian. Um, somebody, get, somebody gives us an eyebrow and we immediately get upset. And what we, what, what we teach people to do, and sometimes organizations, is stop, mm -hmm. um, breathe, and then, you know, I love your idea of then think, you know, and our idea was to challenge that the negative thinking, because uh, we make stuff up all the time. We go from, he's, he's giving me an eyebrow to, to that means he's going to fire me. <laughs> I'm going to be on the street. I'm going to be homeless. And our mind just takes off with that. So mm -hmm. stop. Uh, take a minute and then challenge uh, that negative thinking and then choose a different and alternate way of thinking that's based on reality, based on the facts and based on how, how you want to feel. Right. And so it's a, a two minute exercise that you can do all the time. And in the emergency services, we have to do that all the time. We have to stop what's, what's really going on here because we'll get a, we'll get a 911 call, which is like a stimulus that we get. And, the, and not, and sometimes the dispatchers don't have the right information. They don't really know what's going on. So, so we can't rush into a scene assuming that we know what's going on. So we have to stop, take a look at what's really happening, and then uh, choose a course of action. So that's, it, that works, I think, both in, in personally, organizationally, and in emergency services. I worked with a bunch of cops a number of years ago, and one of them said this, exactly the same thing, that when you get go to the scene of an accident, you're adrenaline's up because you've just been driving at 90 miles an hour on blue lights and two tones and you get there and you have to immediately switch from this high adrenaline to this calm place and he said so i always get out of the car on my cell phone and everybody kind of looked and said well why and he said well there's never anybody on it but because i'm there i can say yep i'm here now mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and all he's doing is creating the space to have That's that great. stop exactly. to take in the exactly. scene so that then he can right. calm himself down to that place so 
So that's why a lot of the stories <laughs> re yeah. resonated in here. So they seem to fit. Um, the other thing that uh, that came up, you talk about um, under the smoke, which was uh, looking under the smoke, which I thought was another real good uh, analogy for life at the moment. Tell us a bit more yeah. about that. Sure. So uh, on a fire scene at a structure fire, uh, what happens in, when you're inside a home, um, heat rises and smoke rises. So you have to get down underneath the smoke to get clear air, not only to because it's, it's cooler, it's significantly cooler on the floor, but you also can see. So that's how we operate. We all uh, get under the smoke, try to find the, the, the source of the fire um, and, and operate there. Because you can't, if you stand up, you're not gonna be able to see anything and you put your life in danger. So the way that extrapolates to me, it's the same thing. And when there's, and you think about now, the, the chaos of now, right? The constant fire hose of information that is flowing, you know, it's like if you, if you get addicted to CNN, like I have unfortunately been for a while. <laughs> Hopefully not for the last few days. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. But then um, you, have to, you have to kind of ask yourself, what's really going on? What, what are the facts? Mm -hmm. what, what are rumors? What, what is nonsense? Um, and really be able to clearly see what's going on. And I think the idea of stopping and then clearly seeing what's going on is really important. Uh, for us, because we can get hijacked so quickly by information that's bad, uh, or by opinion, or by just our feelings of mm -hmm. anxiety that uh, will make bad decisions. And we'll also get, we can work ourselves up into what my grandmother used to say, into a tizzy. Right? And, and <laughs> was she English? <laughs> I think she was English Scottish, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that idea, I just love the sentence and uh, sentiment of get under the smoke. So yep. get, get away from chaos. the fog, get some clarity. Yep. Get yeah. some, some where it's a little bit cooler. You can see things a little bit better and then you can make much better decisions. Yeah, and I think there are practices that we can do. Uh, what I've learned, and it wasn't, you know, I was doing it before, but I've been just absolutely committed now to walking my dog every morning uh, as early as we can and, and just being engaged with my dog and not you know, walking away from everything. And when my mind would go to the latest polls or the, COVID, uh, you know, the infection rate, I would just focus on my dog, right? See how she was experiencing the world. And that just kind of helped clear the smoke, allow me to set my priorities for the day and not get hijacked into, into the madness that we're kind of experiencing right now. Which is even more critical for folks as they're working at home. There seem to be no, it's not that clarity of I start at eight and I finish at five and it can be difficult for people to make time for themselves to clear their smoke. And, yeah. and find that center again. Yeah, I think uh, right now is a time, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think you need to be engaged in the world. It's important right now, but I think also you need to be able to simplify things, right? What are the things I really need to accomplish? What do, what do I need to do in order, you know, for my work, for my personal life and really keep it simple uh, right now? Because it's a, this is an enormous time of reflection for all of us. Right. Uh, and a lot of us are, are I mean, um, like a lot of consultants, my business just stopped. <laughs> you know, March seventeenth, boom. Um, and so it's been. It's been. Once you get over the grief, then it becomes a time of reflection and a time of really kind of keeping your thinking simple, being mindful, and uh, not not getting caught in the winds of what's ever happening that day in the news.
Right. Yeah. My world became this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly right. So, yeah, exactly um, right. Yeah. And my car sat in the garage saying, when are you going to take me back out again? I know. My battery died. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that you mentioned the grief there, get over the grief and, and you address that in, in the book very directly. But I think there's a, another corollary to what we're going through because um, you, know, you don't just see grief because people die. You, you mentioned grief because we've had a loss, whether it be we're not going to the office anymore or we use the abbreviated version of the stages of grief for people when they get 360 feedback mm. because right. that that can feel like you're going through that same grieving process. Uh, yes, and you had, some, you had some great observations and tips for addressing grief. Yeah, I, I think, um, and there's a story I tell in the book. We had had a bad crash and the next morning the fire department got together uh, and uh, we just did what we, you know, a, we call a critical incident debrief. And this old, old paramedic who'd uh, been around forever just kind of stood up and said, listen, the next few months are going to suck. And it was, a, it was an acknowledgement that it was going to be painful, uh, that you're going to have nightmares, you're going to have bad dreams, you're going to be incredibly anxious. Um, but he also said it was the next few months. And, and what the firefighter or the first responder, first responders know is that it's temporary, right? It's not going to go on forever. And that's this kind of wisdom that comes from being in this, in this vocation. Um, and what you learn is, yes, it's going to be horrible, but we're designed to heal. We evolve to heal both physically um, and emotionally. Uh, we don't go back to being the way we were. We don't recover in that sense. We incorporate the tragedy, we incorporate the grief, but we move forward and we heal. And I think that's, the, that's been, I think, the biggest lesson from being a uh, firefighter that I've gotten is that you go through tough stuff, you go through tragedy, but we're designed to heal. And there are things we need to do to heal, but the natural tendency is to heal. And that tragedy is, in some ways, it's part of what helps us grow. If we, if we yes. don't have that tension and that, uh, that challenge and the obstacle, then we're not really, uh, you know, pushing ourselves. And, and you also challenge people to get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the arc that I, I watch most closely is what, how people, when, when they go through tragedy, how they become kinder and more empathic. Uh, and that seems to be pretty universal that when you, um, and as, as leaders, I think leaders becoming kinder and more empathic is a really important thing right now because of the people that work with them. Robin Williams said before he died, is that uh, be kind always because everybody has a story always. Mm -hmm. And the people that work for you, the people that work around you all have stories. And, those, and right now, uh, whether people are expressing it or not, they're going through a lot. And I think it's a time to, to really come from a point of compassion, come from a point of empathy, to really deeply understand that everybody's got a story, everybody's going through something right now. And I think that's what tragedy and trauma teach you. Mm -hmm. And um, my wife used to teach mindfulness at uh, college and she used mm -hmm. to assign the students uh, the task of random acts of kindness which is yes. something else that you identify. Yes, yes, yes that absolutely. is a simple way of recognizing those stories. If it doesn't take much yes. to do small random acts of kindness. Right. Around. I think on a, as a first responder, one of the things you'll learn is that people 
uh, don't rem you know don't remember us for our red lights and sirens and our big trucks, but they they remember us for our kindness. And I think um, firefighters learn to be kind because they're they're confronted with suffering every day, and so you kind of learn you make the choice to really be kind um, and and to do the small things like shovel a driveway. Um, you know, rearrange a home for someone who has trouble walking. I mean, those are all things that firefighters do on a routine basis. And they're not asked to, but they just know that this is the way we can help. Right. So that whole orientation is if I am if I want to help people, then there's a whole bunch of things I can learn from your average firefighter. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, uh, Hirsch, I really appreciate you talking more about it. And Firefighter Zen is available at all good bookstores by Hirsch Wilson. And I'd encourage you. It's a enjoyable read. I'm looking forward to going back to it and reading it not quite as fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, the stories are fun, and uh, I appreciate you bringing them to light for us today. Thank you so much, David. Thanks. You've been listening to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley, and we're brought to you by the book What Great Teams Do Great, available now at all good bookstores. Thanks to Brian Spencer and Finkel for the music. Please share any feedback and suggestions. I'm available through humanity.com. And uh, go to iTunes, like, subscribe, and leave us a review so that other people can find us. In the meantime, till next time we meet, stay healthy.